0: Stave 4 The Last of the Spirits. The Phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which the spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand, but for this it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onwards with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company at this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment, as observing his condition and giving him time to recover, but Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror, to know that behind the dusky shroud, there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched out his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed, I fear you more than any other spectre I have seen, but... As I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge, lead on. The night is waning fast and it is precious time to me, I know, lead on spirit the phantom moved away as it had come towards him Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress which bore him up he thought and carried him along they scarcely seemed to enter the city for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act but they were in the heart of it on change amongst the merchants who hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets, and conversed in groups, and looked at their watches, and trifled thoughtfully with their great gold seals, and so forth, as Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin, I don't know much about it either way. I only know that he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff-box. I thought he would never die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. What has he done with his money? asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrescence at the end of his nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock I haven't heard said the man with the large chin yawning again left it to his company perhaps he hasn't left it to me that's all I know this pleasantry was well received with a general laugh it's likely to be a very cheap funeral said the same speaker for upon my life I don't know of anybody to go to it suppose we make up a party and volunteer I don't mind going if lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the excrescence on his nose, but I must be fed if I make one. There was another laugh. Well, I am the most disinterested among you, after all, said the first speaker, for I never wear black gloves and I never eat lunch, but I will offer to go, if anybody else will. When I come to think of it, I am not at all sure that I wasn't his most particular friend. We used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye bye. Speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on into a street. Its finger pointed to two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men also perfectly. They were men of business very wealthy, and of great importance. He had made a point of always standing well in their esteem, in a business point of view, that is, strictly in a business point of view. How are you? said one. How are you? returned the other. Well, said the first, old Scratch has got his own at last, hey? So I am told, returned the second. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time, you're not a skater I suppose, no no, something else to think of, good morning, not another word, that was their meeting, their conversation and their parting, Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit could attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial, but feeling assured that they might have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be, They could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them, but nothing doubting that to whomsoever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard and everything he saw and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared, for he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed, and he would render the solution of these riddles easily. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to the usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in through the porch. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind a change of life, and thought and hoped he saw his newborn resolutions carried out in this. Quite dark beside him stood the phantom, with his outstretched hand. When he roused himself from his thoughtful quest, he fancied from the turn of the hand and its situation in reverence to himself That the unseen eyes were looking at him keenly to make him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before. Although he recognised its situation and its bad repute, the ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people half naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly, alleys and archways like so many cesspools disgorged their offences of smell, dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed, beetling shop, below a penthouse roof where iron, old rags, bottles, bones and greasy offal were bought. Upon the floor within were piled up heaps of rusty keys Nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to scrutinise were bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly rags, masses of corrupted fat, and sepulchres of bones. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a grey-haired rascal nearly seventy years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air without, by a frowsy curtaining of miscellaneous tatters, hung upon a line, and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of a calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. She had scarcely entered when another woman, similarly laden, came in too and she was closely followed by a man in faded black who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into a laugh. "'Let the charwoman alone to be the first, cried she who had entered first. "'Let the laundress alone to be the second and let the undertaker's man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joe, here's a chance, if we haven't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlour. You were made free of it long ago, you know, and the other two ain't strangers. Stop till I shut the door of the shop, Ah, How it streaks. They ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges. I believe, and I'm sure there's no such old bones here as mine. Ha <laughs> ha, we're all suitable to our calling. We're well matched. Come into the parlour, come into the parlour. The parlour was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair rod, and having trimmed his smoky lamp, for it was night, with the stem of his pipe, put it in his mouth again. While he did this, the woman who had already spoken... "'threw her bundle on the floor "'and sat down in a flaunting manner on a stool, "'crossing her elbows on her knees "'and looking with a bold defiance at the other two. "'What odds, then? "'What odds, Mrs Dibbler?' said the woman. "'Every person has a right to take care of themselves. "'He always did.' "'That's true indeed,' said the laundress. "'No man more so. "'Why, then? "'Don't stand staring as if you was afraid. "'Woman, who's the wiser?' "'We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose?' "'No, indeed,' said Mrs. Dibbler, "'and the man together. "'We should hope not.' "'Very well, then,' cried the woman. "'That's enough. "'Who's worse for the loss of a few things like these? "'Not a dead man, I suppose?' "'No, indeed,' said Mrs. Dibbler, laughing. "'If you'd wanted to keep him after he was dead, "'a wicked old screw,' pursued the woman, "'why wasn't he natural?' in his lifetime. If he had been, he would have had someone to look after him when he was struck with death, instead of lying gasping out his last there, alone by himself. It's the truest word that was ever spoke, said Mrs. Dibbler. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. It should have been. You may depend upon it. If I could have laid my hands on something else, open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see. We know pretty well that we will be helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe." But the gallantry of her friends would not allow of this, and the man in faded black, mounting the breach first, produced his plunder. It was not extensive. A seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons and a brooch of no great value at all. They were severally examined and appraised by old Joe who chalked the sums he was disposed to give for each upon the wall and added them up into a total when he found there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe and I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? Mrs. Dibbler was next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar-tongs and a few boots. Her account was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself, said old Joe. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. ''And now undo my bundle, Joe,'' said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it, and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. ''What do you call this?'' said Joe. ''Bed curtains?'' ''Ah,'' returned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms, ''bed curtains.'' You don't mean to say you took him down rings and all, with him lying there, said Joe. Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make a fortune, said Joe, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I get anything in it by reaching it out for the sake of such a man as he was. I promise you, Joe, returned the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. His blankets? asked Joe. Who else's do you think? replied the woman. He isn't likely to catch cold without him, dare I say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh? said old Joe, stopping in his work and looking up. Don't you be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such things if he did. Ah, you may look through the shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it, "'nor a threadbare place. "'It's the best he had, and fine one too. "'They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me.' "'What do you call wasting it?' asked old Joe. "'Putting it on him to be buried in, to be sure,' replied the woman with a laugh. "'Somebody was a fool enough to do it, "'but I took it off again. "'If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, "'it isn't good enough for anything. "'It's quite as becoming to the body.' He can't look uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror as they sat grouped about their spoil in the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp. He viewed them with a testation and disgust which could hardly have been greater, though they had been obscene demons marketing the corpse itself. (laughs) Ha ha, laughed the same woman when old Joe, producing a flannel bag with money in it, "'told out the several gains upon the ground. "'This is the end of it, you see. "'He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive, "'to profit us when he was dead. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha!' "'Spirit,' said Scrooge, shuddering from head to toe. "'I see, I see. "'The case of this unhappy man might be my own. "'My life tends that way now. "'Merciful heaven, what is this?' "'He recoiled in terror.' the scene had changed and now he almost touched a bed a bare, uncurtained bed on which beneath a ragged sheet there lay a something covered up which, though it was dumb announced itself in awful language the room was very dark too dark to be observed with any accuracy though Scrooge glanced round it in obedience to a secret impulse anxious to know what kind of room it was A pale light, rising in the outer air, fell straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed to the head. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of it, the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part, would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, felt how easy it would be to do, and longed to do it, but had no more power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the spectre at his side. O cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death, set upon thine altar here, and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion, but of the loved, revered, and honoured head Thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes, or make one feature odious. It is not that the hand is heavy, and will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still, but that the hand was open, generous and true, the heart brave, warm and tender, and the pulse a man's. Strike, shadow, strike, and see his good deeds springing from the wound, to sow the world with life immortal, No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them when he looked upon the bed. He thought if this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard-dealing, griping cares, they have brought him to a rich end, truly. He lay in the dark empty house with not a man, a woman, or a child, to say that he was kind to me, In this or that, and for the memory of one kind word, I will be kind to him. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone. What they wanted in the room of death, and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Spirit, he said, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. Still the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned. I would do it if I could, but I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, said Scrooge quite agonised, show that person to me, spirit. I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment, like a wing, and withdrawing it, revealed a room by daylight, where a mother and her children were. She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, started at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle, and could hardly bear the voices of the children in their play. At length the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he felt ashamed and which he struggled to repress. He sat down to the dinner that had been hoarding for him by the fire And when she asked him faintly what news, which was not until after a long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. It is good, she said, or bad, to help him. Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined? No, there is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, she said amazed, there is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting, said her husband. He is dead. She was a mild and patient creature, if her face spoke truth, but she was thankful in her soul to hear it, and she said so with clasped hands. She prayed forgiveness the next moment, and was sorry, but the first was the emotion of her heart. What the drunken half-woman who I told you of last night said to me when I tried to see him and obtain a week's delay and what I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me turns out to have been quite true he was not only very ill but dying then to whom will our debt be transferred I don't know but before that time we shall be ready with the money and even though we are not it would be bad fortune indeed to find so merciless a creditor in his successor we may sleep tonight with light hearts Caroline yes soften it as they would The hearts were lighter the children's faces hushed and clustered round to hear what they so little understood were brighter and it was a happier house for this man's death the only emotion that the ghost could show him caused by the event was one of pleasure let me see some tenderness connected with the death said Scrooge All that dark chamber spirit, which we just left now, will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet, and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children sitting round the fire. Quiet, very quiet, the noisy little Cratchits were all still as statues in one corner, and sat up looking at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing, but surely they were very quiet. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Where had Scrooge heard these words? He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them out. As he and the spirit crossed the threshold, why did he not go on? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The colour hurts my eyes, she said. The colour. Ah, poor tiny Tim. They're better now again, said Cratchit's wife. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather, Peter answered, shutting up his book. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these few last evenings, mother. They were very quiet again. At last, she said in a steady, cheerful voice that only faltered once, I have known him walk with... I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder, very fast indeed. And so have I cried Peter often and so have I explained another so had all but he was very like to carry she resumed intent upon her work and his father loved him so that it was so no trouble no trouble and there is your father at the door she hurried out to meet him and little Bob and his comforter he had need of it poor fellow and they came in. His tea was ready for him on the hob, and they all tried who should help him to it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it, father, don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them, and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table and praised the industry and speed of Mrs Cratchit and the girls they would be done long before Sunday he said Sunday? you went today then Robert? yes my dear returned Bob I wish you could have gone it would have done you good to see how green a place it is but you'll see it often I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday my little little child cried Bob my little child he broke down all at once he couldn't help it if he could have helped it he and his child would have been farther apart perhaps than they were he left the room and went upstairs into the room above which was lightened carefully and hung with Christmas there was a chair set close beside the child and there were signs of someone having been there lately poor Bob sat down in it and when he had thought a little and composed himself he kissed the little face He was reconciled to what had happened and went down again quite happy. They drew around the fire and talked, the girls and mother working still. Bob told them of the extraordinary kindness of Mr Scrooge's nephew, whom he had scarcely seen but once and who, meeting him in the street that day and seeing that he looked a little, just a little down, you know, said Bob, inquired what had happened to distress him. On which, said Bob, "'for he is the pleasantest of spoken gentlemen you have ever heard.' "'I told him, "'I am heartily sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit,' he said, "'and heartily sorry for your good wife. "'By the by, how he ever knew that, I don't know.' "'Knew what, my dear?' "'Why, that you were a good wife,' replied Bob. "'Everybody knows that,' said Peter. "'Well observed, my boy,' cried Bob. "'I hope they do.' "'Heartily sorry,' he said.' for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way, he said, giving me his card, that's where I live, pray come to me. Now it wasn't, cried Bob, for the sake of anything he might be able to do for us, so much as for his kind way, that this was quite delightful, it really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim and felt with us. I am sure he is a good soul, said Mrs. Cratchit, You would be surer of it, my dear, returned Bob, if he saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't at all be surprised. Mark what I say, if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter, said Mrs Cratchit. And then, cried one of the girls, Peter will be keeping company with someone and setting up for himself. Get along with you, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just as likely as not, said Bob one of these days, though there's plenty of time for it, my dear, but however and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure we shall none of us forget, poor tiny Tim, shall we, or this first parting that there were among us. Never, father, cried them all, and I know, said Bob, I know, my dears, when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, We shall not quarrel easily among ourselves, and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob, I am very happy. Mrs Cratchit kissed him, his daughters kissed him, the two young Cratchits kissed him, and Peter and himself shook hands. Spirit of Tiny Tim, thy childish essence was from God. Spectre, said Scrooge, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man that was whom we saw lying dead? The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him as before, though at a different time, he thought, indeed there seemed no order in these latter visions, save that they were in the future, into the resorts of businessmen, but showed him not himself. Indeed, the spirit did not stay for anything, but went straight on as to end just now desired until besought by Scrooge to tarry for a moment. This court, said Scrooge, through which we hurry now is where my place of occupation is and has been for a length of time. I see the house. Let me behold what I see in days to come. The spirit stopped. A hand was pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away? The inexorable finger underwent no change. Scrooge hastened to the window of his office and looked in. It was an office still, but not his. The furniture was not the same, and the figure in the chair was not himself. The phantom pointed as before. He joined it once again and wondering why and whither he had gone, accompanied it until they reached an iron gate. He paused to look round before entering a churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man whose name he had now to learn lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds. The growth of vegetation's death, not life, choked up with too much burying, fat with repleted appetite, a worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He advanced towards it trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be? Or the shadows of things that may be only. Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, to which, if preserved in, they must lead, said Scrooge. But if the courses be departed from, ends will change. Say it thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went. Following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? He cried upon his knees. The finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit, oh no, no. The finger still was there. Spirit, he cried, tightly clutching at its robe. Hear me. I am not the man I was, I will not be the man I must have been, but for this intercourse. Why show me this, if I am past all hope? For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued, as down upon the ground he fell before it. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. The kind hand trembled. I will honour Christmas in my heart, and I will try and keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I shall not shut down out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me, I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his agony he caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself. But he was strong in his entreaty and attained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Stay five. The end of it. Yes. And the bedpost was his own, the bed was his own, the room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. O Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees. Oh, Jacob, on my knees. He was so fluttered and so glowing with good intentions that his broken voice could scarcely answer to this call. He began sobbing violently in the conflict with the spirit, and his face was wet with tears. They are not torn down, cried Scrooge, folding one of his bed curtains in his arms. They are not turned down, rings and all. They are here. I am here, the shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled, they will be, I know they will. His hands were busy with his garments, all this time, turning them inside out, putting them upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, making them parties to every kind of extravagance. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath and making a perfect larricorn of himself with his stockings. I am light as a feather, I am happy as an angel, I am merry as a schoolboy, I am giddy as a drunken man, a merry Christmas to everyone, a happy new year to all the world, hello there, hello. He had frisked into the sitting room, and was now standing there, perfectly winded. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge starting off again and going round the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. Ha ha ha. Really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh, the father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day of the month it is, said Scrooge. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I am quite a baby. Never mind, I don't care. I would rather be a baby. Hello. Hello there. He was checked in his transports by the churches ringing out the lustiest peals he'd ever heard. Clash, clang, hammer, ding-dong, bell, bell, ding-dong, hammer, clang, clash. Glorious, glorious. Running to the window, he opened it, and he put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold, cold, piping for the blood to dance to, golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling down to a boy in Sunday clothes who perhaps had loitered in to look about him. Er? Uh? returned the boy, with orders might of wonder. What's today, my fine fellow? said Scrooge. Today? replied the boy. Why, Christmas Day? It's Christmas Day, said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night They can do anything they like Of course they can Of course they can Hello my fine fellow Hello returned the boy Do you know the poulterers in the next street But one at the corner Scrooge inquired I should hope I did Replied the lad An intelligent boy said Scrooge A remarkable boy Do you know whether they sold the prized turkey That was hanging up there "'not the little-priced turkey, the big one.' "'What, the one as big as me?' returned the boy. "'What a delightful boy,' said Scrooge. "'It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck.' "'It's hanging there now,' replied the boy. "'It is,' said Scrooge. "'Go buy it.' "'What, exclaimed the boy. "'No, no,' said Scrooge. "'I'm in earnest. "'Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here.' that I might give them directions where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. He must have had a steady hand at a trigger who could have got off a shot half so fast. I'll send it to Bob Cratchits, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands and splitting with a laugh. He shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim, Joe Miller never made such a joke as sending it to Bob's will be the hand in which he wrote the address was not a steady one but right it he did somehow and went downstairs to open the street door ready for the coming of the poulterer's man he stood there waiting his arrival the knocker caught his eye I shall love it as long as I live cried Scrooge patting it with his hand I scarcely ever looked at it before but an honest expression it has on its face. It's a wonderful knocker. Here's the turkey. Hello. How are you? Merry Christmas. It was a turkey. He never could have stood upon his legs, that bird. He would have snapped him off short in a minute, like sticks of sealing wax. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town, said Scrooge. You must have a cab. The chuckle with which he said this, but he had cut the end of his nose off. He would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed himself all in his best and at last got out into the streets, the smile by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present and walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded everyone with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant, in a word that three or four good human fellows said, "'Good morning, sir, and Merry Christmas to you.' And Scrooge said afterwards that all the blithe sounds he had ever heard, those were the blithest sounds in his ears. He had not gone far, when coming on towards him, he beheld the portly gentleman who had walked into his counting-house the day before, and said, "'Scrooge and Marley's, I believe?' It sent a pang across his heart to think how this old gentleman would look upon him when they met but he knew what path lay straight ahead before him and he took it my dear sir said Scrooge quickening his pace and taking the old gentleman by both his hands how do you do I hope you succeeded yesterday it was very kind of you and merry Christmas to you sir Mr. Scrooge yes said Scrooge that's my name and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon, and will you have the goodness? Here Scrooge whispered in his ear. Lord, bless me, cried the gentleman, as if his breath were taken away. Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, said Scrooge, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favour? ''Yes, dear sir,'' said the other, shaking with him. ''I don't know how to say too much.'' ''Don't say anything, please,'' retorted Scrooge. ''Come and see me. Will you come and see me?'' ''I will,'' cried the old gentleman, and it was clear he meant to do it. ''Thank ye,'' said Scrooge. ''I am much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you.'' He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro, and patted the children on the head, and questioned beggars, and looked down into the kitchens of houses, and up to the windows, and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times, before he had the courage to go up and knock. But he made a dash and did it. Is your master at home, my dear? said Scrooge to the girl. Nice girl, very nice girl. Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? said Scrooge. He is in the dining room, sir, along with a mistress. I'll show you upstairs, if you please. Thank ye, he knows me, said Scrooge, with his hand already on the dining room lock. I'll go in here, my dear. He turned it gently and sidled his face in round the door they were looking at the table which was spread out in great array for these young housekeepers are always nervous on such points and like to see that everything is right Fred said Scrooge dear heart alive how his niece by marriage started Scrooge had forgotten for the moment about her sitting in the corner with the footstool or he wouldn't have done it on any account Why? Bless my soul, cried Fred. Who's that? It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I've come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in. It is a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. He was at home in five minutes. Nothing could be heartier. His niece looked just the same. So did Topper when he came. So did the plump sister when she came. So did everyone when they came wonderful party, wonderful games wonderful unanimity wonderful happiness but he was early at the office next morning oh, he was early there if he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late that was the thing he had set his heart upon and yes he did it, yes he did the clock struck nine no Bob quarter past, no Bob He was full eighteen minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come into the tank. His hat was off before he opened the door, his comforter too. He stood on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he was trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice as near as he could feign it. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I am very sorry sir, said Bob, I am behind my time. You are, repeated Scrooge. Yes, I think you are. Step this way sir, if you please. It's only once a year sir, pleaded Bob, appearing from the tank. It shall not be repeated, I was making rather merry yesterday sir. Now I will tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer, and therefore, he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered back into the tank again, and therefore I am about to raise your salary. Bob trembled and got a little nearer to the ruler. He had a momentary idea of knocking Scrooge down with it, holding him and calling to the people in the court for help, and a straight waistcoat. A merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken, as he clapped him on the back. A merry Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, that I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary, and endeavour to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon, over a Christmas bowl of smoking Bishop Bob. Bob, Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. But he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe, for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset, and knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle at their eyes and grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him,